morning. We're not going to waste a lot of time. I don't have Cooperisms or funny stories today because I don't want to hijack what I feel the Holy Spirit has already started doing. So I want you to go ahead and open to Haggai chapter 1. You're thinking, well, man, he's all business today. We didn't even get to laugh. Well, we're just going to be obedient as the Lord leads us today because I wish I could say today was going to be easy. Um, Today's going to be a tough day. Um, And if you remember, last week itself was pretty tough. Um, You may want to forget what we talked about last week, maybe like I did, because it's kind of the Spirit of God has continued um, to rake the phrase, consider your ways. He's just reminded me of that um, for the last two weeks. And if you remember last week when we began, it appeared as if the Jews got caught with their hand in the cookie jar. In verse four, if you remember, that's where we spent a lot of time. It says, is it time for you yourself to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? And as we mentioned over the last couple of weeks, we know that the Jewish people had been in bondage for 70 plus years. And when King Cyrus became the king of Persia, he went back to Babylon and and told the children of Israel, you are free to go. You are free to go, but when you go, you must go back and you must rebuild the temple of God that has been destroyed. And so as we looked at last week, we looked at their journey back and we looked at how God supplied every resource. We talked about when God speaks, we step out on faith, then he provides. But what we watched is everything that God had provided for them to rebuild the temple, they in turn used it to build their own kingdom and their own temple. And so that is when Haggai tells them to consider your ways. And so what we noticed last week is if we as the church, same as the Jewish people here, if we're not using what God has given us to build his kingdom, we will never be satisfied. If we use the resources that God has given us to build our own kingdom, we heard it last week. It says that you're gonna reap a lot, but you're gonna sow little. And then it ended by saying you will earn your wages and you will put your wages into purse with holes. So we see that if we're using what God has given us, then we will never be satisfied. And so I know that that was kind of eye-opening to me. I hope it was eye-opening to you. But what we're gonna look at this week is not only will we not be satisfied But if we are using God's resources for anything other than he intended them for, he will not bless it. We will not be satisfied and he will not bless it. So I want you to look with me. Now look, we're gonna finish chapter one this week. We are gonna finish chapter one, but we're gonna jump around in the last half of this chapter just because The order in which it is written, um, it may appear that it's saying something different, but we're gonna kind of lay it out um, the way that it's spoken. So look at verses nine through 11 is where we're gonna start today. But he says this, you look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house lies in desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Verse 10, therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. 
I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, and on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on the labor of your hands. Man, you talk about kicking somebody when they're down. We just heard last week that if you're using what God's given you for anything other than what it was intended for, you won't be satisfied. So as if that is not discouraging enough, now we hear if you're using it, God ain't gonna bless it. He says, because of you, the sky and its dew is shut off. I will not send the rain. I will not do this. I will not do that. But did you notice what he said? He said, because of you. What do we do when God doesn't bless what we want him to bless? We get angry at him, right? But we read right here. He said, because of you, I will not bless. And so what he's reminding them of here is all this energy that you are spending, you're doing it in vain. And I know we can read that and we can say, man, I, got, I get it. You ain't gotta be so blunt about it. We're already discouraged from what we just read and now all of a sudden you're telling us not only will we not be satisfied, but now you're telling us the God that we're following will not bless it. I thought we had some good news. And it sounds like he's just repeating himself over and over and over. But what I think he understands is the very same thing that we need to understand is who's Haggai is addressing is a very stubborn people. Now, I know a lot of you wives are hitting your husband right now in the ribs because how many times do you have to repeat yourself in order for it to get through? And so that's essentially what Haggai is doing here. He's reminding a stubborn people of their disobedience. He's reminded them you're gonna sow a lot, but you're gonna reap little. You're gonna eat and drink, but you're not gonna be satisfied. You dressed up, but you're not gonna be warm. And you're putting everything that you earn in purses with holes. So if we put ourselves in these Jewish people's shoes, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty discouraged. All of my energy, everything that I've been doing, I've basically told it's not going to work. You know, the problem is not the effort. They're exerting a lot of energy. They're always going. They're always doing. But what we see is they're always paddling upstream. So the question is not, are they, they paddling the boat hard enough? But what we realize is the problem is, is not if they're paddling or not, but what boat are they paddling? The boat they are paddling is the boat to success rather than the boat of obedience. And so what we're hearing is that God will not bless us paddling the boat to success, but what God will bless is when we paddle the boat of obedience. And so the reason for their discouragement is because all of their efforts are producing nothing. They're living in disobedience, but yet they want God to bless it. Let that sit for just a minute. 
They're living in disobedience, but yet they want God to bless it. Does that ring a bell with anybody other than me? And my heart's pounding out of my chest right now because where we're about to go. Look at our nation. We want the blessings of God. We want God to pour out his blessings on our nation, but the problem is we are not allowing him to be God of our nation. How in the world can we think that God is going to bless legalized murder? How can we think God is going to bless to let a man or woman decide if they're a man or a woman? The problem is God will not bless disobedience. And how in the world can we sit around and have a pity party and feel sorry for our nation, but the reality is he's not gonna bless it until we're obedient. And so we've seen all week, God, we're gonna pray for our country. God, we're gonna pray for this, we're gonna pray for that. And look, I'm all about praying for, for God to bless our country again. But what I am not gonna pray is that God blesses disobedience. And when we pray for our leadership, we're not gonna pray that God blesses their efforts, but we're gonna pray for salvation. We're gonna pray that the Holy Spirit of God makes them miserable until they surrender from the top to the bottom. And so what the church has gotta do is we've gotta get on our knees and instead of praying for God bless America, God save America. We have gotta pray for salvation from all of our leadership. We've gotta pray that the Holy Spirit of God doesn't let them sleep. We've gotta pray that the Holy Spirit of God makes them absolutely miserable until they surrender. Now, I know that that can be a very sensitive subject and I, by your applause, I know that you're all on board. But here's where the Holy Spirit got me. It's easy to get fired up when we're talking about our country it's easy to get fired up when we're saying we need to, to surrender our nation to God. But let's take it just a step further and let's consider our ways in our own home. We want God to bless our home, but the question is, is he God of your home? We wanna live in disobedience we wanna be disobedient to the word of God, but yet we want him to bless our home. And when he doesn't, guess what? We get mad at him. But remember, it's because of me, it's because of you that those blessings do not come because he will not bless disobedience. Now take it a step further. Consider your ways. You in your personal life, you as an individual, you want the blessings of God on your life, but is he the Lord of your life? You want the blessings of God, but are you letting him be God of your life?
We want the blessings, but we don't want him. We want the blessings, but we don't want him. I told you it was going to be tough. You know, disobedience, disobedience is a lot easier. Living in disobedience is a lot easier. And let's just be real. A lot of times it's a lot more fun. And the reason that it's more fun, the reason that it is easier is because it doesn't cost us anything in the beginning. But the difficult topic of obedience is one that we don't talk about in churches a lot anymore because we may offend someone. They may not come back because we're calling them to a higher level. But what I want you to hear is according to the word of God, obedience requires sacrifice. Obedience requires up to give up things that our flesh wants. Look at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 through 26. Look at what Jesus says. And he's saying this to his disciples. If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he forfeits his soul? Jesus tells us there that we've got to deny ourselves. Do you know what if you break the word deny down means? As if you do not exist. So as a follower of Christ, we are commanded according to the scripture and the word of God that we are to live our life as a follower of Christ as if we don't exist, which means we die to our flesh. We die to our desires and we live and surrender in accordance to the authority of God's word. And yes, it's hard. It's tough. Because we all love living as if we're the only one that exists. But according to this, we're to live as if we don't. That's contrary to what our culture is teaching us. And I know you can read that and you can say, well, Brian, that's Jesus. Of course he's gonna say that. He's super spiritual. Flip to Philippians chapter one. Or Philippians chapter three, I'm sorry. Philippians chapter three. And listen to what Paul says. You see my lips sticking to my mouth? Hmm. She did. You blame it on mama. But Philippians chapter three. Now remember who Paul is. This is a man who persecuted Christians. He hated them. But when he experienced God's grace, he was saved by the grace of God. And listen to what he says in verse seven and eight. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered 
the loss of all things. He's denying himself and he's suffering because he's lost all things when it comes to the world. But he says, but I count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him. I would give you the literal translation of what rubbish means, but we're not gonna go there. I'll let your imagination. I consider everything this world has to offer as crap. I'll just go there. According in reference to what God and what he can provide and who he is, everything this world has to offer is nothing in comparison to eternity with him and what he has to give. So the question is, do we want his blessings without him? Or do we want him enough and as a result of that desire for him, we will get to experience the blessings of God? You see, that's exactly what the Jews wanted. They wanted the blessings without him. They wanted the blessings without him. Now I know that we could all go around this room and we can all examine and consider our ways. But when we look at our life, how many times have we willingly walked in disobedience and we've expected God to bless it? How many times have we continued to pursue sin, to pursue unrighteousness, but yet we want God to bless it? We see something that our flesh wants. We see something that our flesh desires and we chase after it and we say, God, please come over here, God. Come with me so you can bless what I want. So you can bless my disobedience. So God, come join me in what I'm doing. But instead, what the church should be doing is looking and seeing where God is moving and us go join him. Because he will not honor and he will not bless disobedience. And you know, you may be living in disobedience right now and you may look around your life and wonder why in the world it has fallen apart. Why in the world it is disastrous. And you're sitting there going, Brian, I have made a mess of this. My disobedience has cost me everything. My disobedience, I've lost my family. I've lost my kids. I've lost my job. And I don't understand it because man, I was having fun. I was chasing my desires and why has everything fell apart? Because God will not honor and bless disobedience. But maybe you're saying, don't you love the buts from the word of God? Don't you love it? You may be sitting right now and your life is in the same shape that the temple is in. Maybe your life is lying desolate. Maybe you're just in a, a heap of rubbish. <laughs> Y'all want me to say the other, don't you? I'm more spiritual than that. And maybe that's what you're looking at right now. And it's like everything is falling apart. But oh, how thankful we should be for the grace and the mercy of God.
Look at verse seven and eight. That says, the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Do you understand the the size of what God has just spoken to these people who have made an ever loving mess out of what God has expected them to do? They've lived in disobedience. They have turned so selfish. They've taken every resource that God had blessed them with and they've used it for their own kingdom. They're sowing a lot, but they're reaping little. They're doing this with nothing to show for it. And then all of a sudden God says, I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care how big your mess is, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to the mountain. I want you to get more wood. You've already wasted what I gave you to begin with, but I want you to go back and I want you to get more and let's get back to work. That is the beauty of God's grace. And there's somebody here this morning that needs to hear that. You need to hear, although I've made a mess, although I have thrown away every blessing that God originally gave me, here's the voice of God saying, get up and get back to work. Hear the whisper of God's voice saying, get up, my child. I love you and I'm not through with you. Get up, get back to work. And they've already thrown everything he's given away, but guess what? He gives more. He gives more. But he says, they've thrown it all away, but I'm gonna give them another shot. We see that when Paul even repeats himself again in Philippians chapter one, you don't have to turn there, but he says this, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You know what that means? That means that the God of grace is gonna continue to take your messes and he's gonna continue to wipe them clean if we will repent. Did you hear that? We don't talk about repentance in the church a lot anymore. But what repent means is we've got to quit wasting all of the resources God has given us. We've got to quit walking after our own desires. And what it means to repent is we turn and we chase after him instead of us. So we must repent in order to go back to the mountain and get more wood to go back to work. He can tell us where the wood is all day long, but if we don't turn from our rubbish and go back after it, then we're gonna stay right in the same place that he's found us. But we've gotta turn and we've gotta go back. And so let's look at how the Jewish people responded. Look in verses 12, we're gonna read 12 through 15 and then we're gonna kinda come back and and pick one phrase apart. But look with me in verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. If you've got a pen or high, I want you to underline, circle, whatever, that remnant of the people. 
And it says, the remnant of a people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And then the Lord, then they showed reverence for the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all, there it is again, the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts. And on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. So what we see two times right now in the closing out of chapter one, two times the Jews are called the remnant of the people. Now, when we look at what does it mean? What does the remnant of the people mean? Who is the remnant of the people? We're not gonna go back there, but as we were there several weeks ago, we were in Ezra chapter two, where we actually see this account take place of of, of King Cyrus issuing the decree. And we know that when he gave them the freedom to go back to the city of Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, that we add the numbers up, that it's 50,000 people returned back. Now to you and I, that sounds like a lot of people. 50,000 people is a lot of people going back to work. 50,000 people to rebuild a temple sounds like it should be more than enough. But the reason that they are referred to the remnant of the people is because when Haggai or when King Cyrus took the decree back to the children of Israel and he says, you are now free to go back. You are now being rescued from the bondage in Babylon. What we know is that scholars believe that he addressed and proclaimed that to somewhere between the number of 1 million and 3 million Jews. I know that's a lot. I know that's a big span, but all I can say is we're in the numbers of millions, okay? So let's just call it 2 million. I'll be a guy of average. So he announces to 2 million people, here is salvation. Here is freedom. You are being set free. But in turn, only 50,000 stepped out in obedience. 50,000 in light of 2 million is a very small amount. The remnant of the people. So we can look at this 50,000 and it's very easy to look at them and go, man, that is the super spiritual bunch. You know, that's the super spiritual bunch. You know, they stepped out on faith. They've stepped out of, of the bondage. They've took this leap of faith. But what we've got to be careful of is we must remember who Haggai is addressing. He's not addressing all the ones that chose to stay in bondage. He's addressing the church. He's addressing the ones that claim to be obedient to God. But what we also see here is we see the picture of salvation. We read all throughout the New Testament that salvation is meant for all We see that in Matthew chapter seven. You don't have to turn there for the sake of time, but in Matthew chapter seven, we see a picture of this. Matthew chapter seven, verses 13 and 14. 
Enter through the narrow gate. That's the remnant of the people. The remnant of the people who will follow Jesus Christ. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. It's easy. A life of disobedience is easy. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's the remnant. It's the remnant of the people. Salvation was meant for all, but there's only few who will surrender and receive this gift of salvation that God has provided through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. And so when we look at those 50,000, and I know you can sit here this morning and you may even view yourself as a remnant of the people. Yes, I've trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. I've experienced the freedom through Christ. I understand that. And if that's you today, you need to celebrate. But maybe you're one of the ones that have heard the good news, but you've not surrendered to it. If you can't celebrate this morning, then you need to surrender this morning and find hope, find the life that comes through trusting in him as your savior. But like I said a moment ago, for us who are saved in this room this morning, we can even think of ourselves as the super spiritual ones. Oh yeah, I've, I've trusted Jesus. I know where I'm gonna die or go when I die. I've been baptized. I've even been on a mission trip. I've been here four Sundays in a row. Woo! I am super spiritual. But remember, Haggai's addressing the super spiritual ones. These are ones that claim to follow God. These are the ones that claim to walk in obedience. Remember, they stepped out on faith. They were saved from the bondage in Babylon. They were saved. They received the salvation. But now the very same people who celebrated the freedom are now living in disobedience. And so here's what I want you to hear this morning, church. If the kingdom's not growing, it's not because of the lost world. The kingdom is not growing because of those who claim to love him but aren't living for him. The reason that the temple of God, the reason that the kingdom of God lies desolate is not on a lost world, it's on us. But here's the question. Is the only thing that looks different about us and a lost world is where we're sitting this morning. is the only way we look different than a lost world is because of where we are sitting right now. And that's the part that where we kind of, it's like we think we've earned it. I'm in church this morning, so I know God's gonna pour his blessings out on me. I'm the super spiritual one. But the reality is, 
In many cases, the reason that the kingdom, the reason that we're not seeing revival in our country is not because of the lost world. The reason that we're not seeing the revival in the country that we all long for is because the followers of Christ are living in disobedience. But yet we're wanting God to bless it. We're wanting God to bless it. So in many cases, the professing Christian, instead of promoting the growth of the kingdom, we hinder the growth of the kingdom. Because we claim to follow him, we claim to live for him, but our actions are so showing something totally different. You know, the word of God tells us, the church, the followers, the remnant of the people, that we are to be holy because he is holy. We are to pursue righteousness. We are to seek after the kingdom of God first. We're to seek him first, not us first. Not our fame, not our fortune, but we are to seek after his glory at all costs at all cost. And you know where we learn obedience? We learn obedience when we submit to the authority of God's word. So the way that we see revival in our country is when we surrender to the authority of God's word. The way you see revival in your home is when you surrender to the authority of God's word. When you see victory in your life is when you surrender to the authority of God's word because without the authority of God's word, we're gonna continue to live in disobedience. But we've gotta let the voice of God speak. And we've gotta be sensitive to what he speaks. You know, proportionately, what I love about the book of Haggai is if we compare it to any other book in the Old Testament, proportionately, it is referenced the voice of God or thus says the Lord or the word of God more than any other book in the Old Testament. There's 38 verses in these two chapters. 25 times in 38 verses, we hear thus says the Lord. The Lord said, the Lord spoke. We hear all throughout these two chapters, the voice of God speaking to his people. So when the voice of God speaks to us, he's gonna do it through this. And we as the church, we as the remnant of the people, we must surrender to the authority of this. Is it hard? Yeah. Is it gonna cost you? Yeah. But the question is, when he speaks, how do we respond? When he convicts, how do we respond? 
Conviction's no fun. But when the Holy Spirit of God does convict us, it is now our responsibility to respond to that voice. And remember, when we're obedient, it's gonna cost us. We're gonna have to die to our flesh. We're gonna have to die to our desires. We're gonna have to go against the world. But here's what I want you to hear this morning with all the confidence that I can say is the word that we heard from the voice of the Lord just a moment ago. And I love how it says, it references God's voice three times in this word. It says, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. Okay, Haggai, we get it. God wants us to know that he is with us. If God is causing the church today to step out on faith, if he's calling us today to surrender to the obedience, it's going to be hard, but here's what promotes the response of the Jewish people. The promise of God compelled them to go back to work. And so maybe this morning you're sitting here and your life is lying desolate. Your life has fallen apart because of your disobedience. I wanna go ahead and tell you right now, it's not gonna be blessed. You can't come and get in an altar today and say, God, I am sorry, I've made a mess of my life and then go right back to the mess and expect him to bless it. That's not how it works. But what we've gotta do is we've gotta leave the rubbish behind. We've gotta leave the mess behind and understand that he's telling us, hey, child, I don't care what you've done in the past. You've made a mess of it. You've thrown it all away. Here's another shot. Here's another chance. Get up. Go get the wood and let's go back to work. And when we go back to work, I'll be with you. The promise of God is what compelled their response. And we read that it says in the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They got back to work. They quit living in their past and they pushed reset. They pushed reset. You know, myself, I've made decisions in my life where I knew everything in me that that's not what God was calling me to do. That was not how God was calling me to respond. But you know what? It was easier. It was the road that everybody was traveling. And so what I did is I said, God, I'm gonna step out in obedience 
Oh, but God, I want you to protect me in it. I want you to take care of me in it. And then when we step out in disobedience and everything falls apart, when disaster comes, then we get mad because we're like, God, I asked you to go with me. But what happened to all that talk, God, that you will never leave me nor forsake me? What is all that talk, God? Let it be known when the voice of God takes your mess and meets you in your mess and says, get up, my child, I love you. Let that be the fruit that he never left you. He never forsook you. He walked with you even into the middle of your mess. Our country's in a mess. But the only way that we're gonna come out of this mess is when we surrender to the authority of this word. And guess who that has to start with? The remnant of the people. That's you and that's me. So I don't know how this has spoken to you this morning, but I know it has because it is the voice of God who has spoken to me all week. It's the voice of God who has spoken to you right now in this morning. But the question is, how will you respond? Do you need to bring your rubbish? Do you need to bring your crap up here to this altar and say, God, here it is. I've made a mess of this. But God, what I wanna do is I wanna leave all of that mess here. And I wanna turn and I wanna go back to the mountain. I wanna go back to the mountain so that I can get back to work to do what you called me to do. Or maybe you're here this morning and you're like the Jews who stayed in Babylon. You've heard this gift of salvation your entire life. You've heard this grace extended over and over and over again. But because you don't know all the answers, because you don't know how it's all gonna turn out, you're like, you know what? I'll just stay right here in my little comfort of my own bondage because it's just easier here. Remember, it will never satisfy. So I want you to be obedient this morning. And maybe for the remnant of the people, maybe we need to be on our face this, this morning praying and begging God for revival in our country, praying for God to save our country, praying for God to speak to those in leadership until they are miserable and they surrender to his authority. So I don't know how you need to respond today, but I know that when God's voice speaks, we gotta move. That's what they did. It said when the spirit stirred in the remnant of the people, they went back to work. So as the spirit stirs this morning, you're gonna stay put or are you gonna go back to the mountain? God, I pray that right now that we would be obedient. And God, I am so thankful for your grace 
God, I am so thankful that you find me in my mess. God, I'm so thankful that you meet the people here in their mess. And you tell us that, forget it. Forget it, I'm gonna provide more. I'm gonna give more opportunity. But you gotta act on it. And so God, right now, I pray that we as a people would be obedient to you right now. God, I pray that if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their savior, God, that they would step out of the bondage today and they would trust you as their savior. So God, do what only you can do here this morning. But God, when you move, we're gonna praise you. We love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.